live from the boom tube. Here are your hosts, hailing from the planet Oa, weighing in six foot seven, six hundred and seventy-five pounds. Victorious Viper Vinny. From the dark depths of Gotham City, long may he reign. His co-host, Captain. Oh yeah. Hello and welcome to Live from the Boom Tube. We are your hosts. It's great to meet you this go around. My name is Vinny, and my co-host here. What are you going to introduce me as? I don't know, dude. Introduce yourself. <laughs> I'm not your dad. <laughs> You're not? Will you just say your goddamn name? I'm John, but he calls me Captain. I do call him Captain. Um, if you guys feel good about that, uh, we're gonna, we can call him Captain the rest of the way. Let's stick with that for now. Great. Um, welcome to our little show. This is our first episode, and if anybody is actually listening to this, thank you for clicking on the link and, and sitting through the first minute or so of this. Um, we're here to talk about comic books. Um, it's a passion of the both of ours. I myself have been reading for a good six plus years. Um, Captain over here, you've been reading on and off for probably about as long as I've known you. Yeah, for sure. Um, but to just get to give you guys a little bit of a little bit of introduction, our little show here is for those of you out there looking for a way to ease into comics, for diehard fans looking for books to add to their pull list, and people who just like superheroes. Uh, the goal of our show here is for those of you that go to a Marvel movie or a DC movie and think like, "Yo, this is cool. Like, should I read comic <clears throat> books?" And our answer is an emphatic yes. The the answer is. Yes, read, read absolutely, um, absolutely. We're just a couple of dudes looking for an easygoing outlet for our little passion, our little hobby, and we're here to bring you the joy of comic books without pretense. We're here to just uh, shoot the shit and talk comic books. On the first episode of our show, we're going to be talking about three books, um, and this is kind of going to be the format going forward. Our plan is to do one from DC, one from Marvel, and one indie book a week, so you can kind of get used to that. Uh, this week, we're going to be talking about three big books, um, two number ones and a number two this week. Um, if y'all have been paying attention to anything in the comics world, Jonathan Hickman's X-Men is the big, big hot ticket thing uh, this fall. Um, his dual miniseries, which are technically one long series, sister series shenanigans, um, House of X and Powers of X just ended recently, and today, on the 16th of October, he launched X-Men number one, uh, beginning the Dawn of X era for Marvel, and a whole load of weird mutant stuff is about to go down over the next who knows how long. Uh, we're really excited to talk about that book. After that, we're going to be talking about Superman Smashes the Clan, uh, based on a radio serial from the 1940s, uh, called The Clan of the Fiery Cross. Uh, it's infamous for really tanking KKK membership numbers back in the 40s. Uh, so this will be an adaptation of that story. Really cool stuff. And last, because it is most definitely spooky season, um, 
we're going to be talking about a really fucking badass. Um, <laughs> I love it. Badass <laughs> new series from Boom called Something is Killing the Children. Spooky. And for our spooky, spooky people out there, this book is killer. Gnarly. Gnarly. Uh, we're <clears throat> really excited to talk about this one. That was the big surprise of our, our poll this week. So... Um, yeah, great to meet you guys. Just a reminder, I am Vinny, and our, my other host over here is... Captain. Captain. John, whichever you want. <laughs> but not not Captain John. Please do not Neither, mix the two. It's not John Captain. It's not Captain John. It's not the Captain. Just one or the other. Yeah, this we're not... Just like beer and liquor don't mix. <laughs> Those two names do not mix. No, no. So please... Please refrain from anyway. Vinny, it is an honor to be on this show with you. Uh, I'm really excited for this episode. I wanted to ask real quick, what what's a boom tube? For all our people out here who, who have no idea what the hell they just got into. So, welcome to the boom tube. The boom tube is the passage between dimensions, between worlds. In comics history, the boom tube is what the citizens of New Genesis and Apocalypse used to travel between universes and between worlds. And it's a giant blue throbbing, you know, <laughs> tunnel that just like explodes on the scene and you show up in a new place like dazed and kind of fucked up and uh, really, you know, you're just all of a sudden you were somewhere else and now you're over here. And that's going to be a pretty consistent theme with this show as you get to know the both of us. Um, at one second, you're over there. Next second, you're over here. Yeah. Um, so does that? do you feel like that was a pretty good description? Sure, yeah. And, you know, uh, that also goes to show we, we, have, no, we have no bias here. Uh, we want to really give voice to all these different comics and, you know, we both have our preferences and in, in heroes and uh, comic distributors, but uh, we really wanted to lend a voice to all of these. So, in being a boom tube station, we are going to be transporting across comic universes. As fucking nerdy as that sounds, yeah, no, we're this is what we're here for. Um, <clears throat> and I think we should, I think we should jump into the boom tube. Jump to, to get, into the boom tube to get started on our first thing. You ready? I'm ready to jump in the boom tube. Live from the boom tube. Yeah, you're really regretting tuning into this show now. Welcome to the boom tube. We're really excited for our first episode of Live from the Boom Tube to be talking about X-Men 1. This was a great opportunity for us to get started with a big, big ticket comic uh, launch. And both of us are really big fans of the writer's work, and I am could not be more ecstatic to talk about two of my favorite things in the world coming coming together. So first, I think we should talk about the creative team on this book. Um, For sure, this Absolutely. number this number one is being written by Jonathan Hickman, and for those of you comic vets out there, that name is Holy. Um, but those of you newbies, Hickman is, uh, in my mind, one of the one of the faces on like a Mount Rushmore of of comics writers right in the twentieth century. This guy 
does everything and does everything <laughs> well and will just break your brain in half with his like hard sci-fi boners you know he just <laughs> he really loves this weird genre shit and you this book is full of boners full of it um, <laughs> mutant, mutant full of mutant boners um <laughs> and then on art in this book is lionel you he has a very very vibrant style um, and it really helps the, the X-Men pop on the page. Yeah. Um, so a little bit, a little bit, a little bit of context, uh, Captain, what, what Hickman have you read? East of West. Imagine the four horsemen of the apocalypse are all cowboys basically in a, um, you know, alternate reality sci-fi world where, People have basically people haven't moved on from the uh, Wild West type of life, but they have advanced in technology to fucking. I, I don't. It's it's crazy. They they have like robot horses. They have like you know crazy revolvers, and it, it's it's a really cool blending of two things. I never thought I really needed until I read it. And that was, was that his first book or no? No. East of West was his, probably uh, the one that broke him as an indie writer. Like he wrote a few uh, short graphic novels before then, um, Pax Romana and uh, The Nightly News and a couple of others that I haven't read, um, which are really cool. Um, but East of West was the, was the big uh, indie hit for him where he wasn't working for either of the major publishers and um decided to just go all in on style um definitely really really kick-ass book and uh hopefully down the line we'll be talking about an issue of east of west but god i'd love to (laughs) but it it takes breaks in between uh in between things and you know now that hickman's back at marvel writing this giant x-men initiative um i would almost guarantee some delays um i've been reading a ton of hickman uh since i started comics the big hickman thing uh was his extensive marvel saga that reaches all the way back to a series called uh secret warriors which led into a series about shield um neither of which i've read but then moves on to uh the fantastic four all the way through leading into an, a long run on avengers and concluding with his giant event uh secret wars where uh, Doctor Doom stops the collapse of the multiverse and rebuilds reality oh, through shit. sheer force <laughs> of will. <You've> talked. <laughs> um, oh man, really, really cool stuff. I'm glad and, that came up in this episode. Yeah, damn. The more we can talk about Doom in any capacity, the better. Um, can you guys tell that Vinny is a Doctor Doom? I fan? get so fucking hard <laughs> for Doctor Doom. <laughs> I I love Doom. And that story uh, spanned, God, like five or six years. So this dude plays the long game when it comes to the way he writes. Um, so without further ado, let's let's hop into this book. Yeah. Let's so see. on that on that note, Vinny, uh, do you, do you get the same feeling about this X Men when you read it? Oh man. Do you he, feel like he's on to something really big, or we're on to? Uh, uh, they loved comic publishers love to talk about a new status quo for their heroes and like nothing will ever be the same again. But I've been reading comic books for like for uh, long enough to know that most of the time that's bullshit. This one, I have I've never read superhero comics like this. This is 
off the charts stuff. Um, House of X, Powers of X that led into this uh, really lay the groundwork for the new era of X-Men. And we'll talk a little bit about, about Hawks and Pox, um, but we're really going to focus on X-Men 1. Uh, but definitely go back and read House of X, Powers of X, because it gives a lot of context to this issue, which we'll talk about as we go through. But let's get into it. Let's get into it. Um, I'm going to get a little bit... I'm going to get into the plot a little bit. Go right for now. it. Yeah, go Just for it. Up. So, X-Men 1 picks up where where House of X kind of left off. Um, he set up this, this triangular war between three major factions, uh, mutants, humans, and the machines. Um, he's set up sort of a bleak potential future, um where mutants die out in any number of ways. And this is the last try at building the perfect world for mutants uh, going forward. Funny enough, this is actually the first X-Men that I've ever read. No shit. Physical form. No shit is right. I have never read an X-Men book before this. And, you know, I didn't... I found it still pretty easy to follow. Um, but can you, can you like, kind of go into what... Uh, What's going on here in in this X-Men run? Yeah, so in House of X and Powers of X, the series that led up to this X-Men 1 launch, um, Xavier and Magneto have basically pulled their resources together to bring all of mutants from across the world to live together under one nation, uh, living on the giant living mutant island named Krakoa. <laughs> so ridiculous. Hang on. It's a it's a living island? It's a living Wait. mutant island. Okay, I ju- I read this and <laughs> I I guess it was maybe made clear in House of that but <laughs> did not know oh, it was yeah. a living thing. So, it's a living island. <laughs> all all of mutantdom, all all mutants have moved to live on top of this giant living mutant island. Um that is, you know, that's some that's some sci-fi shit. That's some X-Men shit. That's some Hickman bullshit. Um, and Sorry. the mutants have essentially created a new a new society, a new civilization. All mutants are welcome. Heroes mm-hmm. and villains alike live on Krakoa. And the whole point is we're tired of fighting humans. We're tired of it. So we're going to play on their terms and be a true society. You know, mutant is no longer just a genetic classification. It's an ethnic classification. So when Krakoa was founded, there are only three laws of the mutant nation. Number one, no mutant kills a human. Number two, Krakoa is sacred land for all mutants. And number three, make more mutants. Now, <laughs> these mutants going to be fucking. They're going to be a lot of, lot of fucking with these mutants. It's like the Olympics. It's like the Olympics. <laughs> it is it is exactly like the Olympics. Except they don't provide the condoms because they want they want mutant babies. <laughs> um So get this, right? Uh Cyclops leads a team to go rescue some mutant children from the evil sciencey organization Orcus. They do that, nice little, you know, X-Men adventure jaunt. Magneto, you know, does some magnet stuff and, you know, talks about being how cool it is to be magneto the kids <laughs> love him everybody yeah. loves him yeah um cyclops goes home <clears throat> and he's like ah you know my dad my dad from space is in town 
Um, I'm gonna go home. I'm gonna go take. I'm gonna go through this like Krakoan portal to go to my home on the moon, and that's where <laughs> that's where all the summers live. Plus Wolverine. I gotta say, I think I think my favorite part of reading this was uh, when it showed house life, but with mutants. So like, Jean Grey is just like doing dishes, and like, <laughs> there's this really great moment where there's like a fish dude that comes up behind her, and I th- <laughs> his name's like it's uh, like I think it's not Chode. It's, it's, it's like Cod. It, it looks like it's Chode. like Cod. I'm serious. It's spelled C H apostrophe O D. So, you know, take that as you will. I read Chode. <laughs> there's a fish. There's just a fish guy. Fish and he's man. Just like, yeah, fish man. And he's holding like a pot, a, a tray of tea. And he's like, I think we need more sugar. <laughs> That's your fish man voice. I think we need more sugar. Yeah. That's what he says. <laughs> and I just, I love uh, this, like, invi- this setting where there's just a bunch of mutants and they're all living in the same place and they're all weird, but they're all doing, like, chores and, like, they're just living together. It's like a hippie commune, but it's, with powers. This you know? is, Krakoa is most definitely a hippie commune. Life is good right now. So what's really cool about this issue is that it reminds me of, uh, I've read a lot of X-Men comics. And a lot of the 80s X-Men comics that are so well-regarded so well-loved, the, the Chris Claremont comics, are just as much action-adventure as they are slice of life. And this book opens up with some nice action-adventure and then moves into a slice-of-life comic for the Summers family. Um, Cyclops' dad, Corsair from space, who's just like a space pirate, and his, like, you know, his group, the Star Jammers, are, like, having dinner because his dad's in town, you know. Uh, Jean Grey's cooking. Uh, Scott uh, Cyclops' brother, Vulcan, is grilling. Um, you know, uh, Chode is making tea. <laughs> uh, you know, Wolverine's having beers and, and ready to... F- I did that again. Careful. Wolverine's <laughs> having beers and is, like, ready to scrap. Um, so it's a nice, it's a nice pleasant, we watched Cyclops do the dishes for Christ's sake, um, which is, <laughs> which is pretty fun. One thing I wanted to bring up, cause it's pretty unique. I, and again, this is coming from someone who has not read an X-Men comic before. I mean, I've, I've watched all the movies, you know, I'm aware of all the villains, the main people, but one thing I've never seen is Magneto portrayed like this. He won, he wears like all white. He's just he has no red helmet. He's got the same helmet, but he's like white, silver, just looks like a shining knight. And he's basically the like poster boy for this society. Because as soon as he shows up, everyone just fucking loses it. Like all the kids are gathering around him and, and he's and he's just like, you know he's loving it. And I, I, I don't know. It seems like a pretty different take on uh, Magneto. He's not always a dick. I know that. But right now, he's basically Superman in the X-Men universe. This is a really cool new dynamic for for the X-Men heroes and villains. Um, because the way that Krakoa came about, it came about as a joint venture between Xavier and Magneto. And Xavier's got the, you know, man pulling the strings kind of thing going on. He wears a crazy helmet um, we actually don't even see him in this issue no. for, for more than a couple panels uh, in a flashback in the very front yeah. of the issue, which That's is really a- odd um, and kind of unsettling. Magneto, on the other hand, is playing this like war hero, like general kind of guy. 
you know, he's the he's on the front lines with uh, Cyclops' X-Men team, and he's teaching and talking to children, and he's, like, loved up and down. Like, he is the the rallying force for a lot of the mutants on Krakoa. So this is a really cool, this is a really cool thing. Clearly there's a lot of focus on the summer house on the moon. Uh, you know, I, I'm not, this is probably where my X-Men familiarity kind of gets a little gray. Cause I'm not, I don't know like all the family trees that well, uh, but I do know like people like Havoc and, uh, and, Vulcan stuff like that, um, but there's there's definitely something kind of odd about the whole uh, family dynamic, uh, especially I noticed some weirdness between uh, like Cyclops and his dad. I don't know about if you got the same thing, but it, it's is that just me? Like, is this is the dynamic between them kind of weird, or what's going on here? There's some there's some weird shit at play here. Oh. If you don't know the Summers family tree, the Summers family tree is the most complicated nonsense in comics when it comes to families. Like there are so many alternate children from alternate universes, time displaced children, lost brothers, lost sisters. There's all kinds of, you know, crazy going on in the Summers clan. And what's cool about this issue and about this group of uh, X-Men that Hickman's brought together is that it's primarily... Uh, Summers family members. the The main team in this issue is Cyclops, Jean Grey, Wolverine, Magneto. Uh, you get a brief appearance of Storm at the front, but then you get Vulcan, who's uh, Cyclops' like long lost half brother from space. Havoc, who is an on again, off again hero slash villain, who's also Scott's brother that we've known for a while. We've got Cable who's uh scott summers and a a clone of gene gray's kid from the future who came back to the past who used to be old but then got killed by his younger self and is now a teenager in the house of summers right that makes sense which makes complete sense right that that's that totally makes sense polaris <clears throat> who's magneto's daughter and used to be shacking up with havoc and Rachel Gray Prestige, who is um, the daughter of Cyclops and Jean Gray from Days of Future Past, which is a really famous X-Men timeline, X-Men story. So this is a weird group of people. And they're all together. here. And they're all living in the same house. They're all and here. And it's all weird. Well, most of them are living in the same house. So it's all weird. And they're all here. And it just feels a little too perfect. It feels a little creepy. This weird, like, you know, everything's cool. I just want to love people vibe that's going on. At one point, uh, Scott says to his dad, he says, man, everybody's been trying to kill me for years, and they're just going to keep trying to kill me. And he's like, I'm tired of focusing on people trying to kill me. I'm just going to spend time with people I love. And that's a really great, um, you know, ethos for this whole Krakoan experiment. But coming from a character that's usually pragmatic the way that Cyclops is. It's, it's a really unsettling kind of, you know, indoctrinated response. Uh, something weird is at play here. And it gets even weirder when you start looking at Hickman's graphs. 
(laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Now, this book, probably less than some of his other works, uh, contains these infographic pages that explain some of the context for all these large sci-fi tropes and all these, like, structures that he's building in this series. Um, And we get a nice big graph at the end of the book uh, explain the levels and the rooms of the Summers house. And if you look closely at the infographic on here, you'll see each of these people assigned a different room. And there's some weirdness on one side of the house. If you look at the rooms that oh, Wolverine... Oh, wait yeah, a minute. You're seeing it now. He's looking at the page. You I'm looking. It. Wait, I didn't... <laughs> you didn't even see that shit. Folks, so, we got some scandalous shit going so on here. I want you to, to remember what I said earlier, that one of the laws of the New Mutant Nation was make more mutants. Right. And if you've ever seen an X-Men movie or know anything, there's a weird love triangle between Cyclops, Jean Grey, and Wolverine. Now, at this new <laughs> summer's house on the moon, yeah. their rooms are all next to each other, with Jean's room in the middle between them. And if you look even closer at this graph, you'll notice that there are open doors leading into each other's rooms. But just those three. Ju- and ju- but that's only the case in those three rooms in this house. So Wolverine, Jean Grey, and Cyclops can enter each other's rooms at any given what? time. And they have to go through Jean's what? room to see each other. So... <laughs> You you picking up what I'm putting down over there? I don't know what I'm picking up on, but there's a lot. There's a lot there. First of all, I'm going to make it simple for you. They got to be fucking. They absolutely have to be fucking. I'm trying to collect my thoughts here. (laughs) (laughs) Like, you have to... They all have doors out to the hallway, but it's almost like like a triple... It's like a weird triple in a dorm. There's a weird three-way thing going on here. And fucking Jean Grey just has like an open door to both her husband. I don't know. Well, actually, no. Sorry. I don't know if they're... Are they married in this? They're not currently married. Okay. So it's not Jean and Scott. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, it's, it's it's not that. So she's in, she's in between her like clean cut, like slim, you know, leader of the team, you know, ace boy scout, you know, longtime boyfriend and the hairy, rugged Hugh Jackman, Hugh Jackman <laughs> ass Wolverine, huge stacked man. And everybody seems to be OK with this. Nobody has said anything, any boo about this, because, again, one of the laws is make more mutants and. Once that was in place, everybody was, it seems like everybody was just like, I guess we're all going to fuck now. So this book got real horny real quick. (laughs) This is a real (laughs) horny story. Mutants are horny and (laughs) hot. This is a steamy podcast right now. This is getting steamy (laughs) right now. When you're living on the goddamn moon, who gives a fuck? Everybody fucking. A couple little bit more details about this house. Uh, The Summer's House is on the moon. And the X-Men have a very long history with cosmic stories, with space stories, and it seems to be that the Summer's House is the first line of defense for the mutants against cosmic threats, which is pretty interesting. Um, 
especially considering we have Corsair and the Starjammers here in the first issue. Uh, so that's one cool thing to point out about the new, the new status quo. Um, and out of nowhere, for whatever reason, I guess Hickman just likes him. We have Vulcan, who, uh, based on his history, hasn't been seen in a minute. He was, I thought he was, people thought he was dead, and I guess he's just here. But the weird thing in this book is, like, he's the comic relief character in this book. Like, he's just out here grilling and talking about the fires within him, like, every chance oh, he gets. yeah. Yeah, okay, so that was him. He's he, So there's just this great conversation between Hugh Jackman and Vulcan, and <laughs> he fucking... <laughs> He's just like getting mad at Wolverine's just getting mad at him because he's not cooking his steak right. And Vulcan's <laughs> just like, let me sh- let me tell you about why my powers work. See, I summon the fires from within this oven. And <laughs> and I even it out with my body. And I'm using that to cook your steak. And and Hugh Jackman's just like I want my steak rare. You're you're overcooking it. <laughs> just getting pissed off at him because he won't stop talking. About his dumbass powers. His dumbass fire within. <laughs> and then Vulcan's like, fine, fine, all right, I'll, Here, cook you. I'll get your steak. steak rare. And then he pauses and he goes, medium rare. And then Wolverine gets pissed and, like, jumps on him. Why you? Why you little son of a bitch? <laughs> um, great, great little moment there. So that's, I think, actually where it shines the most, this issue. Uh, to me... It's it's these little family life moments like cooking a steak or uh, doing dishes with your dad, but instead of just using regular soap, uh, and this is made no, this is like a special note in the book. They use like a goo. They use some kind of like weird goo. Yeah, cra- that just like cleans the plate and dead dries it. Like apparently, they don't even- apparently, Krakoa also manufactures the best dish detergent on the planet. <laughs> yeah, um, who knew? Really? It's just it's these little things that are just like it's absurd family life to the at its best because otherwise this would be completely ridiculous. But it's it's the X Men living in a commune in a basically a uh, Olympic athletes hippie commune, uh, you know, totally away from the rest of society, and they can just do whatever the fuck they want, and they do. And it, it, the the end result is just like okay, Vulcan is using the fires of the Earth, of the Moon, <laughs> to cook this guy's steak. Yeah, and that's that's what makes this this issue and X Men as a series really shine. X Men's really at its best when you can balance the action adventure plot with the slice of life moments. The moments you get with the mutants at home is, uh, really what I I come back to X Men for. Um, and that really shines in, in X-Men one. So, all right. So Vinny, uh, we, I think we have a new villain in this book, Orcus. They Orcus. orbit, we, we talked a little bit about them. They orbit the sun. First of all, they orbit the fucking sun. Um, and they are building these like, mm, human robot hybrids. Uh, they're called sentinels. I think they're like yeah. the sentinel race. Uh, what, have we seen these guys before? Are they, are they familiar to anything in Marvel or, or, or X-Men? So Orcus, Orcus is brand new for Hickman's run. Orcus are going to be the like shady secret organization, you know, undermining the mutants at every turn. 
Um, it's kind of explained in, in this book that Orcus is made up of old members of various secret agencies and secret societies from throughout Marvel history. Everyone from AIM to Hammer to S.H.I.E.L.D. to, to HYDRA. Um, and you don't need to know any of those or agencies. You just got to know that they're like shady spy agencies doing, you know, nefarious, shady science shit. Um Orcus is led by three main villains. You've got the nefarious director Devo, who wears some crazy eye goggles and has some schemes. You have the Omega Sentinel, who just... Listen to that name. Like, that sounds bad. You don't even need to know anything about comics to know that something called an Omega Sentinel sounds mean and bad. Yeah, probably not good. Probably not good. <laughs> and Dr. Gregor, uh, who's some other female shady scientist. Um... And while they orbit the sun, Orcus is developing the greatest sentinels known to man, ready to wipe out the mutants in the face of potential human extinction. Now, not only are they building new sentinels to take out the mutants, they have stolen technology that potentially may give them the secret to resurrection, which was a point touched upon in the House of X, Powers of X series, uh, we found out that mutants have figured out a way to bring other mutants back from the dead, which is pretty convenient considering how many X-Men die and come back and 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 die and come back. Jean uh, Grey, for example, has probably died like four or five times at this point in her history. So humans gaining that power is a big, big scary thing for mutants going forward. And the issue ends on Dr. Gregor discovering that power, and we're left with a cliffhanger at the end of X-Men 1. So, who knows what they're up to? We don't know yet. There's a big, large mystery to unfold over the course of the next who knows how many issues. It kind of seems like the sky's the limit in terms of the characters they're able to bring back, because... I mean, you already said that, like, the Summer House alone has people from, like, different multiverse, different timelines, diff like, clones of different heroes, or of Jean Grey, at least. It looks like Hickman's just sort of saying, uh, you know, I can put whoever I want in this. Yeah, he doesn't give a shit. He's like, screw all that uh, long, complicated X-Men history. I'm gonna take all the pieces I like, throw them together and bring on a new age of x-men because we felt like we may have run out of x-men stories but guess what we didn't we got some weird sci-fi shit on the horizon with like seven more books launching over the next couple of weeks and hopefully we'll get to talk about some of them as they come out so that i think that's gonna wrap up x-men one <clears throat> for us um we really dug this book we really dug this book. Um, I think I got a little bit more enjoyment out of it because I read House of X and Powers of X. Yeah. But, Captain, you seem to you seem to enjoy it even without that in context. I mean, I'll definitely keep reading it. Um, again, as a as a first time X Men reader, as crazy as that sounds, um, it was good, and uh, I I like when authors kind of say. You know, whatever rules to this universe, they can be rewritten. Um, 
I had the power to do that. So I think I think that seems like something Hickman's doing here. Um, and this is this is unique. Like this is not this having all these mutants together and they're like living in peace in this kind of situation has not happened before, at least to my knowledge. So seeing it go forward is going to be pretty interesting. Yeah, this is the first time they've done this on like a grand scale. When they this this time they brought everybody in, heroes and villains alike. Everybody yeah. is living yeah. in this uh, tenuous mutant harmony, and there's definitely some doubters um, amongst the ranks. So I'll be curious to see how what the future holds for our favorite mutants. Um, so this is a great jumping on point for a new reader um so go pick it up go pick it up and tell us what you think well on that note uh let's move on to superman all right superman is smashing the clan in very classic superman fashion and when i say classic i really mean like vintage superman we are not dealing with a superman that has the same sort of powers you may be used to seeing him with this is Superman that can only leap over buildings. Uh, he has to <laughs> he has to run across telephone wires to get where he needs to go, but he does it because he want he doesn't want to hit any other cars, you know. Um, so we get we get forty Superman basically. We get Golden Age Superman. Yeah, this is a this is a really cool book. Uh, Superman smashes the clan number one. A um, little bit of historical context for this. This book is based on a radio serial from the 1940s and a 13-episode series of The Adventures of Superman, which was hugely popular at the time. Um, it's based on a series that they did called Clan of the Fiery Cross. This arc of the radio show is infamous for severely decreasing the enrollment numbers of the Ku Klux Klan at the time. This came about... Because an activist at the time, his name was Stetson Kennedy, infiltrated the Ku Klux Klan and saw the organization for the horror that it was. And was worried. he was worried that the government and the police department were also members of the KKK. So instead of going to the authorities, he went to the producers of the radio show, The Adventures of Superman, and was like, yo, guys... This is some fucked up shit they're doing. Like, could you write a story about this so that everybody knows what these people are doing? And the writers of the radio serial adapted it, adapted Stetson's uh, accounts into a 13 episode series called Clan of the Fiery Cross. Um, and that's that's kind of the history behind this. And it's the first time this story, this adaptation of this story has been published in comic book form, which is pretty, pretty fucking cool. So this book, Superman Smashes the Clan, first time it's on comics, it's written by a guy who, uh, he didn't listen to the radio show at the time, uh, but he grew up with Superman, uh, Gene Lun Yang. What can you say about this author? So Yang has a little bit of history with Superman, some of his most recent, uh, Major publisher works have been Superman comics. He wrote the main Superman title for a little while, a few years back, and also wrote New Superman, which was a Chinese-based Superman character named Keenan Kong. Jin Lin Yang is an American writer of Chinese descent and has written about his culture pretty much in every comic book that he's ever written. 
Um, this is a pretty personal story for him because Clan of the Fiery Cross uh, deals with the marginalization and racism towards Chinese-American immigrants in the 1940s. Um, so he's the perfect kind of person to put on this book, and it really shows in the work. Um, so, Captain, tell me, tell me what your your impressions are from from this story because this is a pretty this is a pretty hefty topic. Yeah, yeah, uh, to tackle in in comic books, and the approach is very interesting in this book. Yeah, I I would agree with that. You know, when you when you hear Superman smashes the kkk uh it's really hard to i I did not know what i would be reading but i had no idea it would be this uh when i opened the book kind of reminded me of watching like a sunday morning cartoon like it's kind of the characters are drawn as if they're from that kind of uh that sort of style of art and it's really lighthearted for the most part like even the even the parts of it that are, uh, you know, the KKK are in it and they're, you know, despicable as always, uh, it still somehow comes off kind of lighthearted and fun, if that makes sense. Yeah, it definitely does. And it, you can tell that this book is geared towards younger readers. Um, it yeah. shows in the artwork and it shows in the lighthearted tone pretty much throughout, which is a really cool, uh, really cool approach to this to you know, get at younger readers and teach them lessons about, you know, how how racism affects families and affects uh, children even. Um, so taking this approach to, to a Superman comic is really, really cool. So without further context, let's let's hop into the plot of this story a little bit. So we open up Superman's fighting a, a Nazi in nazi looking armor (laughs) he he deals with them pretty pretty swiftly so he defeats this this nazi in a robo suit and opens up his chest (laughs) and realizes that his powers come from a mysterious green rock superman automatically feels sick and gross and it's clear to anybody that knows anything about superman that this is the first time he's coming into contact with kryptonite and it's causing him to question a lot of things about his heritage and where he comes from and his own memories. This Superman plotline is going side by side with another plot of this Chinese-American family that's moving into Metropolis proper and is greeted with some soft racism and some hard racism as they're the new, the new ethnicity on the block. We're following two children of this Chinese-American family were following Roberta and Tommy. Roberta's the younger sister who's hesitant about moving to Metropolis, and Tommy is the older brother with a lot of charisma, makes friends really easy, and is just really down for the new adventure. The Lee family, of whom Roberta and Tommy are a part of, move across the street from Daily Planet reporter Jimmy Olsen. Uh, who's been in Superman comics forever. Um, If you don't know anything about Jimmy Olsen, Google him, and you're going to see some of the wackiest, weirdest pictures in comic books. Some really cool, really cool stuff. Um, Jimmy invites the new kid Tommy to play baseball with his youth team. Tommy happens to be a kick-ass pitcher, but there's a, a problem. There's a problem. The old hotshot pitcher on the team 
a you know blue-eyed blonde-haired kid is upset that he's being replaced with this new hotshot chinese kid uh going so far as to call him pretty offensive slurs the kid goes home talks to his uncle tells him he's being replaced by this hotshot chinese kid the uncle's like oh we can't have any of that we can't have any of that filth in our town kid you know what i'm gonna bring you to this meeting i'm going to tonight and the kid's like i don't know about that uncle i don't even remember the guy's name uncle racist uh, <laughs> we'll go with that. We'll go with we'll go with, we'll go with uncle. He's racist. your racist uncle. He's your racist uncle. He brings his nephew to a meeting they're having that night of like-minded people who believe that America should remain pure. It is then later revealed that the uncle is the grand scorpion of the metropolis branch of the Ku Klux Klan and they decide to burn a cross on the Lee family's front lawn. Which is a pretty jarring scene in a in a kid's book, right, Captain? Yeah. This did that catch you kind of off guard to see in a book like this that started off so pleasant and and lighthearted? Well, I guess I sort of expected it with a title like Superman smashes the Ku Klux Klan. It's kind of weird because it definitely opposes the art style, and you know, I kind of got to thinking it kind of it would shift between being this innocent child comic and being like extremely real to even stuff that we're obviously dealing with today. Uh, you had mentioned there's both, you know, the hard racism and the soft racism, the burning of the cross being, you know, the most, uh, the most violent form of racism that is, uh, shown in the in this issue so far soft racism an example in the story is that you know when the lees move into their new house one of the father's new co-workers brings over an apple pie and the mom is like wow that smells so good and the co-worker goes yeah well it's not dog you're smelling it's apples and you're just right. like Ugh, man like you're yeah you're, you're not actively racist here you're not burning crosses but you are shitty you know right and it's well and i'm 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 glad i'm glad that he chose to set this story in the in the mid 40s and i'm glad he did because while um i mean a lot of this was just acceptable speech back then yeah it's not acceptable in any way but this was just stuff that people said and it was just it was so casual and i think he he understands those issues and he he shows it in many different ways like there's there's the it, there's the example with the apple pie there's an example with a cop who basically like uh later on roberta goes up to a police officer you know asking for help and he basically says that like in this city people like you are safe because uh i think he basically says like affirmative action is protecting you yeah, it's like, you, like that. You, you know? get a lot of help. You so get a lot I don't of need help. to help you. People, people like you shouldn't, you know, you should feel safe here because you're being protected. And that's just one of many examples. It's almost like every page turn, you're like simultaneously completely charmed and wanting to kind of throw up because it's just so like, if anybody said any of this in front of you, I would hope you would just kind of 
like turn away. I don't turn know. away. Turn, yeah, you would, for you sure. would not want to really continue talking to that person. Um, you know, we're not trying to get super political on this podcast, but comics are rooted in in, in politics. politics, particularly Superman. Superman from the very beginning. So, to continue where we left off with the plot, you know, douchebag baseball kid and racist uncle go to a KKK meeting. They burn the cross and the Lee's front lawn. And to initiate the new nephew into the KKK, racist uncle Grand Scorpion is like, throw this bomb into their house. And the kid fucks up, he misses, and nobody gets hurt. Um, so everybody lives to fight another day. So now, no wonder he got replaced as a pitcher. Am I right? Am I right? <laughs> <laughs> I feel awful. You should feel awful. After the situation with the Cross and the Lee family household is solved, a couple of members of the Daily Planet show up to cover the story, including Clark Kent and Lois Lane. Um, young Roberta, the daughter of the Lee family, and Clark get along pretty, pretty well out the gate. Little does Roberta know that while she's undergoing her own identity crisis in a new place in Metropolis, Clark is also undergoing the same thing, dealing with the consequences of discovering kryptonite and and learning about his own heritage. So at the time, when Roberta's feeling like an alien in her own city, Clark Kent, a.k.a. Superman, is feeling the same way. Post this little, this little interaction... After the failure to, like, burn up the Lee household, racist uncle and shithead kid uh, decide to, you know, take matters in their own hands and send their message a different way. The Grand Scorpion and one of his cronies decide to kidnap Tommy, the Lee boy, with the fastest pitch in Metropolis, um, and essentially describe tarring and feathering him while hanging from a noose, which is pretty fucking horrifying for a kid's book. Roberta notices that her brother had gone missing, and because she knows she can't trust the police or the government, she goes right to the Daily Planet, back to Lois and Clark. Clark decides, this is a job for Superman. Runs to his favorite phone booth, gets changed into his undies, and flies the outskirts of Metropolis to help Roberta. Roberta, at this point, has confronted... Hang on. Hmm. Hang on. He changes into his undies? You know, his, he, d- his wait, long johns. Do you think he, does he like Tasmanian devil in there and like change clothes or is he wearing, I don't want to go too off topic, but like, does he, does he like Tasmanian devil in the telephone booth? So, that's a really or does great he just question. like pull off his, his jacket? Cause like, I feel like I've seen both, but I. Like how many layers of clothes does Superman wear, you know? But when you say he changes into his undies, it's like. Like well, was he, he already wearing undies? So he was definitely <laughs> he was definitely wearing his work clothes, and somewhere under there, like I don't know, maybe his Superman suit is like really tiny and can like fit in his pocket, and he can just like whip it out and get it's changed like the, real quick, like the Flash, like the Flash. Sort but like, you know, how many layers to this onion are there? You know, how many? <laughs> how many? Like under his work clothes, he wears a Superman suit. Under his Superman suit, he wears his work clothes. And under his work clothes, under his Superman suit, under his work clothes, he also wears his. Superman suit. Superman suit. Oh no, I've gone cross-eyed. <laughs> um, he's just Superman. He's just he can super- do that. He can do that. This is some Superman shit. Yeah. Now Superman changes into his undies and flies out to the outskirts of Metropolis uh, to help out Roberta. Roberta at the time is confronting the shithead kid 
uh, about her brother's whereabouts. The shithead kid is actually having a crisis of conscience and decides to help her out. The kid's a big fan of Superman. The kid, the shithead he, kid loves Superman. He, he basically, like, in being figured out as part of this clan by Superman, he's like, by the way, I'm a huge fan of you, Superman. Yeah. And Superman's <laughs> just like, yeah, no, fuck you. <laughs> yeah. When, when faced with Superman. like, it doesn't look like it, you asshole. When faced with Superman, this kid's like, I'm a huge fan. And Superman's like, are you? <laughs> yeah. And this kid's like, maybe I should rethink everything. Which, I shouldn't have hung out with which, my uncle. <laughs> I shouldn't have hung out with racist uncle. Um, and, you know, it causes him to kind of rethink his actions. So he decides to help. And the issue uh, leaves off with Superman, Roberta, and Shithead Kid, who I'm not even giving a name right now because I don't even remember his name. Um, Arian. Yeah. Arian <laughs> Kid number one. Um, go off in search of, of Roberta's brother, Tommy. Um, this is a pretty long book. This came in sort of, uh, like mini, mini trade dress. Um, it's probably a good, a good, like 48 to 60 pages. It's I would long say it was for... a pretty long, a pretty long read. I mean, it doesn't feel long. It, no, it blows by. It goes, it goes pretty quick. Um, like it just, it just fits that Sunday morning cartoon, just very besides all the KKK stuff and the racist stuff. You I mean if I, if all of that was out of it, you would think you were just watching a very classic Superman cartoon. It's just very. Um, it's a it's a it's a Sunday morning it's a Saturday morning cartoon with a lesson. This is a really great read for kids because it teaches you lessons about how racism affects your communities and 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 the other people around you, while also having an art style that reflects the cartoons that you watch every week. Um, it's very digestible, very easy read. And, you know, we're, we're adult men at this point and it had oh, just, God. This, yeah, right. <laughs> Barely adult men Don't say at this that. point. <laughs> and this was a very, uh, very fun read for us. And I can only imagine the kind of impact it would have on a child. It's a very non Superman centric book, which is really cool. Um, so you can kind of put yourself in the story a little bit more um, in that sort of look up to Superman as a bastion of, you know, hope and, and justice. But he's also feeling the same feelings that you are. He is just as much of an alien as you might feel. And he he gets self-conscious about it sometimes, too. Um, so this was a really great small story. And I'm really excited to see how this plays out going forward. Um, definitely very timely book very digestible book um with a really great voice and we could recommend it to just about anybody yeah and and going off that i mean superman is as american as the aforementioned apple pie you know it's almost like no coincidence that that shows up and to have something as powerful and as as central to American culture as Superman now tackling this issue back when it was sort of originating. Um, that's, that's powerful writing. And for that, I have to give Mr. Yang all the credit in the world for this book. And this is part one of three in this series. Um, the next one is releasing, I believe in December of this year. 
So I would definitely look forward to the next issue of this on stands um, coming soon. We really like this book. We're glad to talk about it, and uh, we're glad that it exists. You know? Yeah. We're glad that it exists. And I don't think it would work as well with any other hero besides Superman. I agree. I mean, consider Superman's origins. Superman was created by two Jews in the middle of World War II who wanted a way to punch Hitler without actually being able to punch Hitler. And if anyone can stand up for the oppressed or the marginalized or the people that feel alien among us, it's Superman. And this book really nails that that message and really hammers those themes home. So uh, we give this a big, big recommendation um, and look out for uh, issue number two coming out in December. December, wow. December. Um, cool. So we trying to get spooky? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's gonna get spooky. In the boom tube. In the boom. <clears throat> spooky boom tube. So we are now moving to Something is Killing the Children. Issue two just came out this week. Issue one came out... About a month ago. About a month ago. Um, it is freaky. It, it is, is some really freaky, like, rated R monster horror. So let's, let's, talk, about, let's talk about this series a little bit in the, in the macro. Um, we're going to be covering issue two of Something is Killing the Children today. Issue one came out last month, as we mentioned. The series is written by James Tynion IV, and the artist is... God, I don't even know the name Werther Deladera. Deladera. Del. Deli. I'm keeping this. <laughs> Werther Deladera. 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 We're yeah. going to get it we're eventually. Get it eventually. So. Two some... fucking hours later. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. Yikes. Something is Killing the Children is a brand new horror series from Boom Studios written by James Tiny in the Fourth and. Werther Deladera. 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 Yeah, sorry, sorry, Werther. We're, we're really trying here. We only see your name on the page. Um, you can call us and tell us how to, how to pronounce your name. We would love that. Um, so I'm going to be, I'm going to be real honest. I typically do not love Tinian's work. I am not a big fan of the way he writes um, Why is that? What, what else has he done? Tinyan has been kind of an in-house writer at DC Comics for a little while now um, under the tutelage of primetime writer Scott Snyder, who's been on the Batman titles for years, is writing Justice League now, is kick-ass stuff. Um, Tinyan's written some a lot of Batman comics, um, Batman Eternal, which was a weekly series. He's co-written issues of Batman with Scott Snyder. Um, and he's currently writing Justice League Dark for DC, which is the, you know, all the spooky DC characters together on one super spooky team. Um, and usually for me, his work is very wordy and very dry. So I was a little hesitant to pick up this book, but it did blockbuster numbers in its first uh, month and got a lot of rave reviews. And because it's spooky season... 
uh, Captain and I figured we would give this one a try, and neither of us were disappointed. This was a huge, huge surprise for me. It's interesting you say that, uh, specifically that the writing's kind of dry, because um, that's actually, I would say that's pretty consistent to this book. I would say that the writing, it's not in a bad way at all. It's like, it's very uh, like deadpan, matter of fact. People just talk the way I think you would expect them to. Yeah, and my my prior complaints about Tynion was he's too wordy, and in this book he's very sparse with the dialogue. Yes, it's very simple, yes. very clean dialogue. Um, so let's get into the let's get into the story a little bit. So. You're you're a pretty big fan of this book. Oh, I, yeah. I heard some pretty oh, yeah. some pretty solid reactions as you were reading this. You book. heard me so, laughing in the other room. So I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna let you lead on the synopsis for this one. So, as the title suggests, something is killing the children. Uh, the book starts with uh, I think something a lot of us are familiar with, which is sleeping over at a friend's house and they're doing truth or dare, and they're trying to scare you by. Either, you know, making you do something stupid or telling you a scary story. That's the first thing that happens. We get James, who's the main character. He's with three other friends. And they ask him to tell one of his scary stories about his, like, nightmares. Apparently, this is something that James likes to talk about. So he does. He's talking about how he saw this monster. And it was as tall as a tree. And then it was gone, you know. Uh, it went, it disappeared in this ravine behind the kid's house. Um, so already I'm getting like sort of stranger things vibes. These kids live in a like woodsy town. Kind of like a Stephen King kind of town. Yeah, like a Stephen King, like main, like pretty much a main town or something. Uh, I think, isn't Castle Rock supposed to be in Maine or something? Yeah, most of Stephen King stories are, are Maine based. They're all up there. Um, and that's it definitely kind of seems like that. But before we even get to anything, we cut to this kid at a police station and he's getting not in terror. He's getting questioned um, because shit went down apparently that night. And all that we can gather from that first issue is that they went out and got separated. And then a monster, whatever this kid James saw starts attacking these kids and not just like stealing but straight up like eviscerating these kids and that's by the way to clarify that was not the part i was laughing at i know i said before i was laughing in the room but i do not laugh at uh child dismemberment just to be clear i know yet now everyone's probably gonna think he totally does but that's not it um so bad shit goes down and like nine kids are confirmed dead weeks later it's not just killing this one group it it goes after this whole town's children something kind is of like killing the children something is killing the children <laughs> and uh okay so we get this we get this female character she comes in she's basically called in uh and she and she walks into the panel with a bloody knife and she throws it on the ground she's got like her little sister with her who wears an eye patch which is kind of fucking awesome. And she's, like, called in. Like, she has, like, a flip phone and everything. She's, like, called in. She has to, like, go to 
uh, this town. We don't even get her name. I, I don't know what her name is, but... We're going to call her Angel for now. We're going to call her Angel because the issue... First issue is called The Angel of Archer's Peak, and Archer's Peak is the name of the town. So right now we're going to call her Angel. She's able to come into contact with James as he's leaving school. And... You know, James is this, like, traumatized kid. His, like, friends are dead. There's hints that he is, uh, that one, he's gay, and that two, one of the kids that was murdered was someone he was infatuated with, which is, which adds more tragedy to it. He's crushing on this kid. Yeah, he was crushing on this kid. So, things are really not going well for James, and he decides he wants to help out. He notices this girl who is, like, clearly a badass and clearly onto something, and in issue issue two is them going to an Applebee's. <laughs> this is why I laughed. They go, they go to an Applebee's and they use it because, quote unquote, they have very large tables here and no one really comes here anymore. <laughs> so they decide together to do something about the something that's killing the children. Um, we, we learn that Angel has a history of hunting monsters. Um james asks her outright she's like he's like you talk about this like you've done this before and it cuts to a couple of panels of her like slicing up monsters and goblins and vampires and like awful (laughs) shit and she's like yeah i did this before (laughs) it's Uh, it's stuff like that like but there's her answer boom she's very (laughs) mysterious very soft-spoken and she's kind of pulling james through this story she's got a mission that she wants to accomplish and james wants to help because all of his friends are dead and he wants to do something about it. So while Angel and James are at this Applebee's, they concoct a plan to retrace the steps of the children that have gone missing or dead. There are nine children dead at the moment, but some have just gone plain missing. Angel and James get on the trail of one of the missing children. Now, something we've noticed throughout these first two issues of Something is Killing the Children is that Angel keeps getting these phone calls from a number that is only known as St. George. We don't hear the person on the other line speak at any point, but she describes the monster situation. She like calls it like an E7 or something. Like There's classifications. Different classes for these monsters. Yeah. And she gets a call and decides that she needs to go home. So her and James split up for a hot minute. She goes back to her hotel room. The... What do you call what do you call the guy at the hotel desk? Clerk. The clerk. Innkeeper. The innkeeper at the hotel uh doesn't like her, thinks she's weird. He's always hearing funky noises and weird shit going on in her room. Um she goes up to her room and all of a sudden starts talking to this stuffed, fucked up octopus toy <laughs> that she's been carrying <laughs> around for the whole issue. <laughs> And Which she explicitly told James not to ask about. We don't talk about the octopus stuffed animal until we're talking <laughs> to the octopus stuffed animal. <laughs> She's like, you gotta help me with this little octopus buddy. And the little octopus buddy's like, okay, I will help you. <laughs> <laughs> the, and then we cut away and the innkeeper calls the police. He's like, I want, I want this chick out of here. There's all kinds of weird shit going on in her room. And the police, like, knock on her door, and she's like, what's going on? There's nothing weird here. And behind her, 
emerging from the stuffed octopus is this like golden goddess with like tentacles and shit uh looking directly at us um but something we're now noticing is that adults can't see these spirits an adult comes in a comes in very close contact with the monster that's killing the children early on in this issue and doesn't see him. Mm. And the police officers that open up Angel's door also don't seem to see the tentacled goddess spirit coming out of her stuffed octopus. <laughs> um, sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. They don't, don't apologize. <laughs> so... That's kind of where, where where that's kind of where the story leaves on a cliffhanger. Um, we really like this book for a few reasons. the The Stephen King Stranger Things vibe is really strong in this book. You know, it's a small town story with uh, the supernatural interacting with small town kids, but Angel and James' dynamic really makes it feel like an adventure story. You know, something akin to like Stand By Me or It, uh, for example. Yeah, yeah, I got major uh, major It vibes from this book. And then you also get some really gory, bloody violence throughout the book, uh, which really counteracts the kind of sense of horror whimsy, I'm going to call it, horror whimsy we have throughout this story, which really gives a unique voice to the book. Yeah, one thing I kind of want to... Uh, make a note of that I personally love. I mean, we get we get plenty of films and TV that are gory, but I think the the gory scenes that I've seen in comics are probably the most disturbing because there's really no reservations on who to make victims of violence in comics. In this book, you literally watch kids get like little kids get like cut in half, and that's just not. That's not something you're going to see really anywhere else. Anywhere else. Um, I mean, it was it was crazy enough when, and spoiler alerts for the first It movie, but when, when uh, like, when Georgie's arm gets bitten off, I mean, people, I mean, that's, like, that was, sh- like, shocking to me. That was shocking to, I think, most viewers that watched it. It's just not something that we're used to or no one wants to see that it's really unsettling to see very gruesome gory violence against children yes and this is something this comic is not afraid uh i think importantly it's not afraid to show you because it gives it it's given it very serious stakes yeah no the, the stakes feel very high in this book and it's enhanced a lot of the way through by the artwork the artwork in this book and the panel structure in this book really lends itself to to the unsettling vibe of the story. Characters are drawn at the center pretty clean and on the edges kind of rough. It's very moody. Very moody. And what is a traditional splash page in comics is, you know, either two pages or one big page with one large piece of artwork. This book actually utilizes the splash pages in a really interesting way where you've got very long panels across the top and you read from the top down as a uh, you read from left to right then top down as opposed to typically just top down on one page of a comic book it gives it this sort of like widescreen feel to the 
to the images on the page yeah which kind of set the mood in a way that feels cinematic and and really compelling even in the softer moments of this book and even in more like tougher conversations between parent and child or parents that have lost children and their family members really makes certain scenes feel large even though they're small yeah Um, and i think that's something that can really only be accomplished with the comic form because you can choose to to take a term from from movies you can choose your the aspect ratio of your picture Hmm. at any given moment and the something is killing the children really utilizes that freedom to great effect and really sets the spooky mood and adds some tension to what would otherwise be a pretty standard conversation. Yeah. The art, uh, it feels visceral. Like I think the best example, really anything with angel, uh, it's almost as if the like shadows around her are kind of like metaphorical. Like when she's in a bad mood, you can tell it's not just something she says. It's, it's the way the shadows around her are drawn uh it's almost like there's like a puddle of ink around her sometimes you know yeah which which kind of leads to the the mysterious feeling of this whole book like that you're not you're not getting the whole story that there's something hiding in those shadows that that you mentioned that the deeper you look the worse things can get and um he's really crafting a pretty solid mystery horror story here um that we we were really surprised and really adored uh reading through it yeah it's a very quick easy read i gotta say yeah very cinematic very action speak louder than words kind of book um that if you're looking to get spooked i mean you're you're reading the right comic you really are and there's so many questions that we have after issue two that we're i'm pretty on board for for the rest of the series to see you know where we go with Angel and James and what we learn about the greater uh, the greater monster world out there. There's also a really interesting potential uh, lens to this book. To me, it seems like there's something divine at play in this story. Our, our heroine is named Angel. She's receiving calls from St. George about supernatural and fantastical elements throughout her travels and you know this plays into a classic you know the divine versus the demons uh trope that we've seen throughout history and while we don't have any answers as to who saint george on the other end of that phone might be i'm kind of getting the feeling like that she's she might be on a mission from god to rid the world a literal mission from a literal mission from god to rid the world of these demons now this is totally speculation on my part but i can't believe that the name of her character and the name of the person calling her uh are is just coincidence and set dressing i have a feeling there's a light versus darkness sort of thing at play here and what's even better is that she calls this potential god figure an asshole (laughs) she calls him an asshole and someone that slays demons for a living probably would think that their boss was kind of a dick uh 
What do you think? Did you glean any of that from the? Did you glean any of that from the story, Captain? I mean, I didn't. I did not know what to think of it. Um, I just found it funny that she has the same reaction like every time her phone buzzes. It's like, fuck. This this is very obviously. She like she responds as if like her boss is calling her to come into work. Yeah, it's like yeah, it's like if you were. Yeah, exactly that. It's like if you're just like out having a good time at lunch or something and you're you know you have the rest of your day to relax and do whatever the fuck you want. And then all of a sudden you get a text or a call from your boss and it's saying, "Yeah, uh, uh Kevin couldn't come in today. C- can you cover?" Fuck. This shithead. But it's interesting because as far as we can tell, it's it's purely professional. And every time she gets a call, she says something like, yup, it's a class E7. Yup, okay. And then that's it. And that's all we know. There's a greater mystery at play here. There's a greater context for these demons appearing. And it makes me feel like the the monster in this, that, that incites this story, is not the only one in this, oh, in this something is killing the children universe. Maybe multiple things are killing the children, and not just something. Something is killing the children. Some things are killing the children. Yeah. So, all in all, we really, we really dig this book, and it's a really great Halloween read. Um, We really recommend you pick it up. Issue three will probably come out in about a month from now. Um, so we got a lot of questions that need answering, but we're looking forward to how the story all plays out. It's from Boom Studios. I've actually never read a Boom book before now. I only ever knew them as the publisher that published, like, Power Rangers comics. Mm. So this oh, is a, yeah? Yeah, they published Power Rangers comics. Do you think they'll make a cameo? I hope so. Spooky horror. Do you think the Power Rangers God, are killing the children? God, I hope the Power Rangers are killing the children. God, when, or, you, when did you think you were ever going to say that? Brand new sentence right there. I never said that before. Maybe never say it again. Either the Power Rangers are killing the children, or that monster is going to kill the Power Rangers. And that's a comic I would buy. We can't promise that will happen in any of the issues down the line. But it might. But it's a goddamn good idea. It's a goddamn good idea, <laughs> Boom. <laughs> I need it, and I need it fast. Yeah. Okay, so that that wraps up our discussion for Something is Killing the Children, and we've now made it through all three books we plan to talk about on this cast today. We did. So I guess this is us wrapping up our first show. What a crazy thing. What a crazy fucking thing. We just talked about comic books. The version that you're now listening to is only a mere snippet of the two hours we spent yapping about this shit um not to mention the literal like days clocked in we have spent talking about comics comics. in general and yeah that's really why we wanted to do this um you know Vinny and i talk like every day really he talks to me (laughs) about comics this this because i'm you know i would say i'm the casual fan i you know i'm into comic books but I'm not nearly as well versed in continuities and context uh, and certain contexts. And, you know, here I am uh, trying new comics and we wanted to bring you those discussions 
to your podcast, to your commute to work, to your boring thing, uh, whatever you're doing right now. Um, we wanted to do it in a way that really anyone could sit down and listen to this, no matter how much knowledge they have, no matter how much background, whatever. This is for you. Our, our mission statement is to bring casual conversation about comic books to the casual comic book fan. Whether you're a fan of comic books or comic book shows or comic book movies, we're, the, we're having the same conversation that you guys are when you come out of a movie, you know? We had a we had a really good time talking about these three books today, X-Men 1, Superman Smashes the Clan number 1 and Something is Killing the Children numbers 1 and 2. We're planning on bringing you this kind of conversation on a weekly basis. So please tune in next week. We're going to be talking about some new books. Um we haven't picked them yet. I guess we should probably, Oh shit. Should we fuck. <laughs> we really think about We that. really didn't think this out too far. <laughs> we were like episode 1. Yeah, that's done. Awesome. Sweet. Oh. Oh, we got to do it again. <laughs> shit. Can we do it again? And hopefully we'll be better next week than we were today. Oh, this is I, a, I, I doubt it. <laughs> I know we will. Oh, well, I'm glad that you have optimism. I'm because, confident because I'm not sure. Oh, I'm, com- <laughs> I'm confident. Well, I'm glad somebody <laughs> in the room is excited. Oh, yeah. Uh, we're happy to bring to be talking to you guys today. We hope that you listen to us again soon because we have a lot to say and we have a lot to talk about. And, you know, if there are comics you guys are excited about coming up, please feel free to mes- message us. Uh, Do somewhere. we have a social media yet? Not yet. Oh. If, oh. <laughs> well, I, pr- I promise you guys... <laughs> <laughs> we're kind of we're kind of just supermaning into this thing. We're, we're, we're just it. like <laughs> well, Krypton's blowing up. We're just being we're just fucking landing on Earth here because we have this is our first podcast. This is our first <laughs> episode of our first podcast. We don't know what the fuck we're doing. I'm definitely so, <laughs> so for now. I'm I'm I guess I'm going to be posting this to Reddit. So if you guys on Reddit have actually listened to this and read this and like the way that we talk about comic books if you want to hear about certain issues please dm the person who uh posts our podcast we're happy to take suggestions we're happy to take uh keep your criticism to yourself we really don't give a shit no 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 please, please criticize me no i don't want to be criticized. criticize me all right fine you're you have you have hairy nipples thank you that's not a criticism <laughs> um well, folks, uh, you know, it's it's been great here. Uh, we're glad you got to join us on this inaugural episode of Live from the Boom Tube. Live from the Boom Tube. Say that out loud a few times, guys. <clears throat> Say Please do. Please Say do it us. wherever you are. Please embarrass yourself for us. Have a good day. Yes, until next time. Bye. Bye. Live from the Boom Tube. Oh, <laughs>